Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Evan Shapiro had run cable TV stations IFC, the Sundance Channel, and Pivot before he launched CISO, a streaming comedy service owned by Comcast and NBC Universal in 2016. Shapiro went independent for a couple of years after that, but in May 2019, he took the reins as president of the National Lampoon, where he's in charge of all development, acquisitions, and production on TV, digital, and audio content for the entertainment company. Shapiro had helped rebrand the independent film channel as a home for celebrated comedy in IFC, and he brought podcasters to TV with comedy Bang Bang and Marin. What can he do to revitalize the National Lampoon brand? He's already working with the Forever Dog Podcast Network to develop some of their shows for TV. Shapiro, who also teaches TV at NYU, invited me to his unconventional office at Soho House to give us a crash course in what's happening with comedy these days. So let's get to it! That's for you, Evan Shapiro. Thank you. Uh, thanks for joining me here in your in your uh, official. The National Lampoon offices have gotten pretty swanky. Pretty swanky, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I office out of Soho House so that I can have free candy all day. <laughs> so uh, we have a lot to get to. Okay. But uh, last things first, what was your first experience with the National Lampoon? Was the magazine? Um, I don't. I'm not old enough. So I was like five or six when the Radio Hour first came out. So mm-hmm. that that I was too young then. Um, but a couple of years later, when I was in um, camp, uh, and some kid was hiding magazines under his bunk, mm-hmm. and there were nudie pictures in it. I'm like, oh, it must be Playboy, and it turned out it was National Lampoon with lots of boobs in it. Um, yeah, who knew? But I, you know, I came for the pornography. I stayed for the comedy, <laughs> and uh, it actually wound up being an enormously influential. That and Mad Magazine were the two things that I kind of like ping pong back right. and forth. National Lampoon was clearly much more both sophisticated and crass simultaneously, um, but it was super informative for me. Yeah, I'm I'm old enough. I think my I knew that the magazine existed, but I can't tell you that I ever actually read mm-hmm. an issue of the magazine. My so my first experience full experience would be vacation. Okay. Although I probably had seen bits and pieces of Animal House. Oh, I'd seen Animal House before then. Yeah. But my not dad, the full. But not the full. My movie. dad was a terrible parent, so he let me watch <laughs> Animal House long but before I. But should've. it's only as I've gotten older that I've been able to get a deeper appreciation for what the National Lampoon did, and even more, perhaps, an understanding of what it could have been. Hmm. Yeah. So you have, if not for yeah, self sabotage and pillaging. A little bit of greed. Greed. A little bit of greed. But um, that's Lorne Michaels. Well, so well, no, because the guy sold the magazine probably earlier than would have been advised mm-hmm. based on the value of the brand. 
Um, and ha- looking at the financial records, I can tell you it probably was <laughs> super low ball. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what what happened was Lampoon, you know, had all these great writers on staff: Harold Ramis, Larry David, John Hughes, P.J. O'Rourke, Michael O'Donohue, obviously Doug Kenny, uh, Ann Beats. Uh, and then they started the radio hour and it created the, co- the careers of Belushi, Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase. What did you think Guest. of David Wayne's movie? The, bio, the Doug Kenny You know, biopic. I don't like wigs in general. And mm-hmm. so when there are that many wigs in a movie, mm-hmm. it just kind of throws me off. And, and I mean that from a performative standpoint. I, I'm being serious. Like I watch uh, uh, a movie and if there are bad wigs in it, I mm-hmm. literally can't listen to what the people are saying. So like I'm having a hard time with, you know, a ton of different period pieces out there. Mm-hmm. So I had a hard time kind of just getting past the wigs in it but what did you think of fx is the americans They're terrible lo- wigs the worst wigs but i love that show but the wigs are part of the bit so there i feel like you can get away okay. with it a little bit you know it's not like they're wearing wigs in every scene trying to but when it's a period piece documenting the rise and early fall of the lampoon it was terrible it took hair. you out of it? it was terrible hair no i thought look i thought it was i thought it was a loving ode to doug kenny mm-hmm and I thought the performances in it were interesting. I don't think it was entirely factually accurate, right. which is the thing. I think the documentary um, is a little bit more educational. So what I love about it, though, is in both cases, it seems to have really reinvigorated interest in Lampoon amongst a whole new generation. Right. Um, so the reach of it has been pretty substantial. Um, in terms of reintroducing the brand. Correct. Um, so go back to 1973 and they do the radio or then they do lemmings. Um, and then NBC offers them the opportunity to have a late night show on NBC right, and they could have turn been. it down. Right. They so could you have can't been. blame Lauren Michaels, who I've worked with for seeing an opportunity and, and going, taking that opportunity. <laughs> I'll take the talent and, and he literally took every piece yeah. of talent that worked with Lampoon and went and took the radio hour, which is the format of Saturday Night Live and turned it into a television show. Now, what's interesting is if you look at the two most iconic comedy brands of all time, it's probably Lampoon and Saturday Night Live. Same engine. Right. Young, discovery of talent, grassroots growing of intellectual property and comedy content, um, stay with the talent all through their careers. Like, that is the Lorne Michaels machine. We lost track of that, and that was after Doug and the other owners sold. Um, and went off to Hollywood to make movies, and then Doug slipped off a cliff looking for a place to jump. And it's um, a good way to put it. Yeah, that's not mine. I, I think that may be Harold Ramis who said that. But the the key element is we are going back and we're reinvigorating that engine. We're not just trying to stick comedy inside an existing brand called National Lampoon and call it funny. We are we have a we have a relationship with a sister podcast network called Forever Dog. We are rebooting the National Lampoon Radio Hour as a way to bring up the next great comedy minds at the same point in their careers that John and Gilda and Bill and Chevy were back then. Maybe not Chevy. Um, and uh, and John, John Johnny Carson once said Chevy Chase could not improv a fart at a bean eating contest. Hmm. It's the funniest insult I've ever heard, and it stuck with me all that time. Um, and so we're re- we're going back to the origins. Um, we're going to reboot the Vacation franchise. Um, 
as well, and that's for more broad kind of family type comedy. Mm-hmm. But the engine is going to be this funnel of great young talent and great young new comedy that's coming out of now, it. Now, if you were to go back in time and visit you in camp discovering National Lampoon, what would kid kid you think of growing up you now being in charge of the Lampoon? Yeah, it's totally fucked up. Um <laughs> I just can't. No, I don't. I mean, most of the stuff I've gotten to do in my life, I never anticipated being able to do. You know, make TV, make movies, you know, wear sneakers to a job. Um, but Colorful socks. Thank you. My daughter gave me those. Um, so you start with everything is gravy at this point. Mm-hmm. And then, it, you know, in, in the newest chapter of my career, getting to run National Lampoon, along with my business partners, obviously, but being the president of National Lampoon. Yeah, no, it is... It is a. It, it seems odd, but to say it's a it's a dream that I'm actually getting to live is it's cliche, but it's not wrong. But I guess I'm not as surprised as I should be or would normally be. But that's only because I think back to the first time I met you, which I re- which I also recorded on a yeah. flip cam. Oh, yeah. On the red carpet. Oh yeah, of the I remember mo- that. The red carpet yeah, yeah. of the Monty Python. Monty Python, where I got to, where I got to introduce the Monty Python. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. It's like everything's gravy after that. I got to do a funny intro of the Pythons, who complimented me on the comedy afterwards. Like that was the end of my career, as far as I was concerned. So, and that was ten years ago. Yeah, but so much has happened in the last yeah. ten years, and I guess. A lot of it has been kind of you've been doing your own version of seeking out the young up-and-coming talent and encouraging, incubating that growth. Were you doing that before you got to IFC Sundance or was that the first real opportunity you had to do that? I mean, to a certain extent in that I worked at the public theater and I worked for nonprofits over time and Mm -hmm. I did some other things and I did a lot of like downtown New York theater back in the day. Um, I started in theater, um, but no, IFC was above the, fir- the behind the above the line marketing. below the line marketing. marketing. Okay, so I did up until IFC. The only true experience I had in entertainment was marketing, um, and then after ten months of head of marketing of IFC, I rebranded the network to IFC Uncut. The ratings went, did the right thing. Mm-hmm. They gave me the chance to run the channel, and that was really when I it was the first time since theater you know downtown theater that i was getting to make content and this is the first time in my career that i was actually making content for a living flash forward fred and carrie walk in with a pitch called thunder ant um you know and the rest is history because right. we turned it into portland um you know but we also got to work with scott Ackerman in what i believe is the first transfer from podcast to television comedy bang bang mark Marin, which is the second i think transfer from podcast to television Marin. Um, the Onion News Network, there was really where I started to get involved with younger talent and being able to, you know, not that Fred Armisen was a young piece of talent when I met him, but... Or even Scott or uh, Mark. Right, but they they were... Interestingly enough, still a kind of the burgeoning of right. the they current were still... comedy ecosystem, and we helped introduce them to a whole bunch of people. I learned a lot from Scott. Um, I learned a lot from Lauren, frankly. Um, Hello, Evan. Um, that's my Lauren Michaels impersonation. <laughs> um, and then I was able to go out and do a lot more of that at Pivot, mm-hmm. where we discovered Josh Thomas, 
a um, bunch of other folks. Please and then, like me. Yeah. Great show. Please like me. And then CISO was really where I kind of dug yeah. in. Yeah. CISO. What, mm. what happened? Was it doomed from the start? I mean, in its geography inside a much larger company, mm-hmm. unfortunately, probably so. At the end of the day, the content was great. Like, I'm not trying to be immodest, but we had indications from the community, from reviewers, from everywhere else that everyone loved the content. The numbers were doing what the numbers were you know, surprisingly meant to do, which is growing month to month. But the intestinal fortitude of a corporate entity when it comes down to it to losing money is not something – look how long it took Disney to just get it to SVOD, to OTT. Right. It took them f- forever. Now they're going to kill it, but it took a long time, and they're going to lose $20 billion doing it. That's their number. That's not my prediction. Right. Right? A, a company like a Comcast NBC Universal who's addicted to quarterly – profit statements mm-hmm. is not necessarily in a mood to lose 30 40 50 million dollars a year building a new a brand new business especially well, if they if they're the entirety of their business is tied to the traditional model mm-hmm. you know almost entirely well maybe then instead of me saying doomed maybe it was more just ahead of its time i think if you so. had done CISO in 2018 Look, it, it if, if we had gotten a television spot in every Saturday Night Live, if we had gotten a television spot in every Tonight Show, if we had mm-hmm. gotten a television spot in every Seth Meyers, if we got television spots inside, you know, primetime comedy, um, you know, I think we probably would have had a better shot at it. We still would have lost a shit ton of money. Right. Um, so I don't know if it was before its time in that. I don't think the niche streamers really have much of a future i I think there will be players like a Crunchyroll and smaller players like Mm -hmm. that who have just a pure niche who might work but i think you know this time next year disney plus hbo max apple uh in addition to quibi and netflix and hulu and amazon and all these and nbc universal well nbc universals will be different in that it's going to be ad supported not necessarily right but but they're Jumping back in. <laughs> Who's the head of programming for NBC's subscription? That's a good question. I don't um, but they need content, and it seems yeah. like they had a whole bunch yeah, they did. of content. And, and then sold it off to stars and stars and who. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, but Bajillion just showed up on Pluto. Yeah, it did. The thing is, is that I think at the end of the day, if you're – if I've been to the Quibi's offices. That is a tech office. Mm-hmm. They're prepared. They understand that this is going to be a slog. They understand that it's going to lose money. I've been to the Snapchat offices. As much as I'm not a huge fan of the platform itself, yeah. it they had a rough year last year. They pivoted. They knew what to do. They redesigned. They re, they tore things apart. They start. They fixed their Android app. They pivoted. Bigger traditional media companies have a hard time pivoting. It's not just NBC. You know, where's Viacom's SVOD product? Well, they just bought Pluto instead. But that's not an SVOD product. That's a free, short form. But that's working, and we'll see. But that's been my my. uh, Where's Daria? That's my pet peeve with all of Comedy Central. All of Comedy Central's MTV. Yeah, that's MTV Comedy Central. Where is there? It's a good question. They have their own apps, but you can't. But but it's it's very difficult to look at a big company who who is profitable mm-hmm. 
and ask them to roll backwards. It's often necessary in order to readjust for the marketplace. It's just that they don't like to do it. They really, really buck. So I don't think it was ahead of its time. I, I think it should have had NBC just taken the money and invested it in a third-party entity, I think it probably would have had a better shot. And that's no one's fault. Like, that's hindsight. Um, so if it had been a Hulu add-on? Yeah. I mean, Hulu loses a billion dollars a year. No one complains about Hulu. Right. You know what I mean? And now Disney went around and bought it all up at a premium, um, as they should have. It's a, it's a great platform. Um, it has 23, 24 million subscribers in the yeah. United States. It's all them. upside international. They're, they have no international distribution. I've got Hulu. So, I've got, I'm trying to figure this out now, what I'm going to do next year. I mean, I have Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. But what am I going to do when... Or do you have cable, too? And I, and I have cable, because yeah. I'm old. I, but at a certain point, I'm going to have to decide what to do. Yeah, to a certain extent, in that you just have to reallocate your money to the same players. <laughs> To a certain extent, I mean Comcast or Twitter but you're well, well, sort yeah, but but different middlemen, yeah, yeah. Well, and to a certain extent, because I'll still have to get my internet service somehow from from your provider. Yeah. Um, but but at the end of the day, the broadband that cable operators provide is almost pure profit at this point. So there's a you know there are players out there who said like I'm just going to get rid of my pay TV business. I'm just going to run a pipe. It's a good business utility. <laughs> it's just an annuity, um, but we'll see. Um, but I do think what is just about this episode to, is supported by Verizon Fire. Yeah. What I think is going <laughs> about to happen is you're going to just watch the oligarchy change hands, right? And you know it's not a monopoly, but it'll be six or seven, probably fewer companies that just basically control the oil ecosystem. By the way, welcome to the history of media in the United States. It has not changed. William Randolph Hearst. You know, we're still dealing with NBC, ABC, and CBS. If we had the Dumont network, we'd have every network that was there at the launch of the, the dawn of television. So these companies hang on because there's a legacy to so it. So the first episode of Last Things First to include a reference to the Dumont network. Thank you. <laughs> I teach TV. So what are you Google telling it. Your, so what are you telling your students about? Do you have to explain TV to your students? Or? I have to give a bit of the history. I give them a book called Television Will Be Root. The Television Will Be Revolutionized by Amanda Lotz, which basically mm -hmm. takes TV from day one to 2014, 2015. Uh, and then I catch them up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we discuss what's happening now. And it's, you know, every week I have to walk in there and kind of throw out. It's like Rachel Maddow's show. She has to throw out the show at the beginning of every show. I have to throw out the class mm -hmm. at the beginning of every class because somebody merged last week. So, um, But it's super interesting, and it's a way for me to educate myself about what's going on. What I tell them is you know, my, my favorite line in any book anywhere, Adventures in the Street, Screen Trade, William Goldman, nobody knows anything. And if you're 20 years old or 22 years old and you're graduating from college, you actually probably know more about the media ecosystem because you're – you're a millennial or a Gen Z or who we can't seem to reach efficiently and you use the media in the way it's intended to be used. Mm -hmm. So have an opinion, take this class, take this, take your time at NYU or whatever school you're in and develop a strong opinion based on fact and, and, and data and everything that's out there colored by your own experiences and then offer, um, uh, offer, a new opinion based on that data. There's no old 
white guy sitting in an executive suite who's going to say you no. I mean, unless you're factually incorrect. Mm-hmm. Because look around us, what we can see. Viacom splits, gets back together, billions of dollars. Like nobody knows <laughs> anything. So you right, might as well right just... where we start. Yeah. You might as well just rip off the Band-Aid, jump in, have an opinion, listen, and you're going to be less expensive than most of the people. It's almost like the Redstone said... Everybody keeps comparing Succession to the Murdochs. No, it's about us. It is. It's about us. I was just talking to somebody who's starting a new comedy platform, digital, Mm -hmm. and she had an idea. It was literally two meetings before we met, Mm -hmm. and she had this idea of building a hub somewhere and creating a community, like all the buzzwords that one might think they would use. I said, go watch the last episode of Succession. There's a primer on why not to do everything that you just said. I don't. I don't want to spoil it, but there's, no. the last episode is about a company called Volter, that Volter that Volter. that uh, the son buys, and he has decisions to make about it. Let's put it that is but, that supposed to be based on Volter? Uh, I think and it's then, actually supposed to be based. If I had a guess on BuzzFeed, would be uh, would Buzz. be the bet I would have there. But you just reminded me that, you know, I I came from newspapers. Mm, Speaking newspaper. of changing media ecosystem. And started going online only in 2007. And one of the reasons I started the Comics Comic was because there was no, there didn't seem to be a true place for comedy journalism or comedy information. And in the 12 years since, there still isn't. I mean, there's Split Sider, there's a couple of inter terror. Split Sider got absorbed, got vultured by Vulture. Yeah. And is not really a. I mean, they do a lot of coverage, but it's different. And, and Vulture does cover, but but I think they're they're. I think. But if you want to know, if you want, if you're a comedy fan and you're trying to find information on your favorite comedians, there's yeah, no hard. real. Their own Twitter feed is probably yeah. The best, yeah. There's but there's no hub. There's, there's no also, community. There's also a larger comedy audience than there has ever been by a factor of I can't even quantify it mm-hmm. um, because there's just more live comedy there's more recorded comedy there's more audio comedy than at ever point any point in the history of humankind mm-hmm. um, and so your service and service other you know there's the comedy bureau which is a twitter feed um, there's there are outlets but there, there's right, also but there's, there's nothing that really brings it all together them, no there isn't unfortunately it's a hodgepodge of yeah and and i don't know that i think part of that is i'm not exactly sure that the mainstream media knows how to cover comedy accurately because it is a lifestyle not a it you know if you listen to four comedy podcasts in a week you see one live comedy show and you watch um comedy specials on netflix or hbo you live in a comedy lifestyle if you sometimes watch comedy, well, that's not a comedy lifestyle. You just like comedy. Well, if you uh, hang out in a in a movie theater, <laughs> upscale, upscale boutique hotel, now we're gonna, now I'm, we're going to screen my favorite episodes of comedy. <laughs> well, but I also think that there's not necessarily. I think there are individual voices, and there's obviously Comedy Central. And there's obviously Netflix, mm-hmm. but as far as a comedy provider out there that is kind of what the Blum, what Blumhouse does for horror, I don't feel there's one of those. And so we really no. do want to try to be that right. is to be a, not a hub, but a a harvester of great existing and established and up and coming and diverse. 
uh, comedy talent. Um, well, I mean, when you were at I- IFC, uh, you and the team that you had there were making IFC a place for comedy fans. Yeah. And the, CISO was the, definitely making a name for itself. I don't know about Pivot or... Yeah, the difference there... Or the is, other stops on your the, road, but... CISO and IFC, in both cases, we were always limited by the number of slots we had on the network. And in IFC's case, that was very few. Pivot, we had way more. Um, now, we're only limited by the number of artists we meet. Right. So we have, you know, two or three dozen projects in development that we take out there and I get to work directly with great new and established comic talent and then sell it to the appropriate outlet as opposed to saying I'm only buying for IFC mm-hmm. and I only have three slots. Now we're only limited by the number of buyers there are in the marketplace, which there are more every day. Right. So from your standpoint as a, as a buyer, as a, incubator i mean 10 years ago you had fewer slots but it was probably easier to determine who would get those slots yeah, whereas I now also, you have i also had the power of green light so if i really loved something i just said yes now I whereas have... now there's so many more players there's so many more people doing different types of comedy because the technology allows you to do comedy anywhere in any format how do you go about your job now when it's just everywhere and you're mining for gold? Yeah. So but the, everybody else is mining for gold. And Well, there's two different ways to mine for gold. Um, the one is you wait till somebody else strikes gold and you run at it and you elbow them out of the way. The other is you go to a place where you think gold might exist and you spend a lot of time there. And hopefully you discover it. And if you don't, you move on. Um, I'm doing, I think, a little, some of both, mm-hmm. but more of the latter. Um, so, you know, the relate the exclusive relationship with this great alternative comedy podcasting network, Forever Dog. Well, that's my own creek, um, and they're great partners, mm-hmm. and they have their own business. But you've they're got, in Los Angeles. They're in LA and in New York, and okay. on that network, you've got. Catherine Cohen and Patty Harrison and Mitra Jahari and James Domian and Joe Firestone and Bowen Yang and Matt Rogers, like some of the best and bright Atsuko. Um, And, and so the, and, and while everybody is chasing after podcasts these days for, for adaptations to television, they're not necessarily going after the more alternative voices always. Right. Uh, Very often they're going after the things that are just, on the edge of commercial so that they can help push it over the edge. That's fine. Or they take an artist and then try to force something down their throat that isn't necessarily right for them. What we are going to try to do is what the Lampoon was really built on, which is you take the authentic voices of these young creators and you propel it. Um, You know, Vacation was started as a short story by John Hughes in the magazine. So it was Christmas Vacation, two different stories. Our biggest film franchise started as a short story by a writer that nobody had ever heard of before. So, you know, we – I'm not saying we're going to strike that lightning twice, mm-hmm. but I think we're much more likely to – we just took out Let's Go Atsuko out. We sold it. Um, I'm not allowed to say yet who, but, you know, that's a that's a great case study for us. We found a, pod, a live show. Forever Dog turned it into a podcast. We adapted it for television. We took it out and sold it, you know. All since I announced. 
that entire process ha- right. took place. So to me, that's that's a process that I think we are better suited to than other studios are. Is it easier having so much distance from now from the original Lampoon? It's funny as to much, be able as, to as much distance to yeah. not be to not feel like you're beholden to a certain type of comedy that the Lampoon was in the 1960s and 70s and early 80s. Well, okay, so next year's our 50th anniversary. So mm-hmm. 1970, um, it was very subversive yeah. at, at the start. So the magazine and the radio hour were enormously subversive. Then you watch something like Vacation, which is much more broad. Yeah. And Christmas Vacation, which is actually the most successful of all the vacation films, is e- even broader. Um, My parents' favorite Christmas movie. And it's on, it will be on every day in December, I mm-hmm. guarantee you. Every day in December, that, that movie will be on television. Um, because it kills every time it's on. Yeah. Okay. So what, what I have the... So yes, the answer is it is great to be that far from the origin because I can now look over the long history, take all of the data and say, so what worked? Why is this the most indelible comedy brand in the history of media? And the real reason is a connection to the artist. And I think that connection of the artist and their work and their authentic work is and Doug Kenny and what he did back then is if we can if we can re- somehow recreate that that's our magic beans that's our that's our you know that's our secret sauce and i think yes having distance from back then enables me to look at all the data objectively and say no this is the secret sauce as opposed to arguing with a founder who is hanging around and isn't necessarily still in tune you is know, that I mean, what Doug the Kenny would be how old now what do you think got in the way of the other iterations in between greed i mean so they sold it because they wanted to cash in Mm -hmm. god bless their souls no can't blame them for that and then a series of jokers took over the the, because i would get emails every couple years of a new team yeah and in each case they they missed what national lampoon i think they just missed what national lampoon was about they're like oh this is a great brand i'm gonna exploit it Okay, mm-hmm. you know, and unfortunately, the first time they did that, which was licensing the name to Van Wilder, worked too well. Do you know what I mean? That movie was so successful right. that it fooled them into doing that over and over and over again, and then they just wore it down to a nub. What's great is the time off since then, and the documentary, and the Vanity Fair article, and David Wayne's movie have re burnish the brand to a point where it's now much more nostalgic and it's much more of a spotlight towards funny things than it is a very specific thing in anyone's minds. It's, it means different things to different people. I was just with a 22 year old kid who's like, I can't wait to see what you do with Lampoon. He had his own relationship to it mm-hmm. at 22. So that's where I think the other administrations missed the boat is they just didn't take the time to understand why lampoon means something to people and until you do that i just don't know how you i don't know how i'm going to exploit it too Mm -hmm. but i'm going to exploit what's really there not some fantasy of what someone else slaps on top of it speaking of that then what is your relationship or your strategy vis-a-vis the harvard lampoon people so we have a really good relationship with them we have a perpetual license with them i actually just met with the 
president and and one of the more senior people on the writing team in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, uh, um, they're the bright young guys. They're working on. They've sold a book. Um, so you know, we have an ongoing relationship with them. Um, what we want to try to do is create a better conduit um, between their students and what we do. So they didn't just just don't go straight to SNL and yeah. Um, the Simpsons. <laughs> um, or, you know, frankly, into architecture. You know, we <laughs> not that architecture is a bad thing. It's just, you know, we need funny now more than ever and mm-hmm. taking their talents. And that said, we also, so we have a great relationship with the Harvard Lampoon. End of sentence. Next sentence. We also are very concentrated on the diversification of the comedy voice, both color of skin, right. gender, gender identity sexual preference and frankly economic strata um and so democratizing the entry point to to comedy in the united states so that young people from all over the country who don't go to harvard can get in the front door that's a big part of what we're going to do now that i think again was a missing part of the last few administrations and frankly unfortunately was a missing part of the original lampoon because it was all cisgendered white people of great privilege from harvard so how important is it then for you knowing that let's go asco is going to be one of the first show we sold yeah i think it it is it personifies who we want to be uh, a, a woke Japanese game show from a Japanese immigrant who lived in her uncle's garage for seven years because she was undocumented, now exacting revenge on America by forcing people to be woke or be slimed. You know, or that, watch her twerk. Right, her Instagram. twerk. She is the best twerker <laughs> in the world. Um, <laughs> it is. It is a real. It's a. It's a badge carrier for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really proud that, 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 that's the first project that we got out in the world and, and, and took out there. And it, and by the way, the buyers responded, even the ones that passed on it Mm -hmm. thought it was a great concept and a good match with Lampoon. So I'm really thrilled that, that we're working with them. I'm really thrilled to be working with everybody at Forever Dog where that project came from. Joe Cilio, who developed the project, Alex Ramsey, Brett Bohm, you know, they are, to a certain extent, you know, m- more Lampoon than anybody I've ever met. And so that's why the relationship, that's why they're exclusive partners. Well, I'm glad you didn't uh, quit after that Monty Python event. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, anything else you want to well, let us in about? Yeah. I mean, we're, we just started working with Sophie Santos, who has a monthly show in New York called The Lesbian Agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, we just started working with Mary Beth Barone and Michael Cruz Kane on the exhibition, which okay. is a great stand-up show at the yep. Public Hotel. We just started working with a great group of sketch artists who have this totally fucked up sketch show, which is basically of Pee Wee Herman, Saturday Night Live, Three's Company, and LSD had a baby um, called Sofa Kingdom in Brooklyn uh, every month. And we're working with each one of them to develop these shows for television. And each each case, um, it's either co-run or, or led by a woman, um, in many cases a, a woman of color. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, we have a really good point of view. So this is not a one at, – Atsuko at, at is not a one-off approach like, oh, we've checked our diversity box and right. we're moving on. It's a huge part of who we are. We will also work with cisgendered white guys. They're just oh. going to be our minority now. Oh. So – that to me is the the one thing I would add. That's, that's is, good to know as a podcaster. 
Yes, there are a lot of cisgendered there might guys be room in for podcasting. <laughs> there might be um, room for me still. You know, and funny first is really a big part of what we want to try to do as well. Oh, I got to be funny. Yeah. Okay. It's a well, heavy lift. I'll work on that next episode. Cool. <laughs> This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.